Good morning, church. It's good to be with you again this week. I want to share with you a couple of, of moments from my life this morning as I begin. And the first occurred, I wasn't even 30 years old. I was a brand new professor uh, beginning to teach Bible in Lubbock at Lubbock Christian University. I was not long out of graduate school, and I didn't know what I was doing. It dawned on me one day, I was sitting in my office, I remember very vividly, thinking to myself, I was working through some, some assignments and realized that there were parents out there They were paying thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars for their children to come sit in my class. Little did they know. I mean, I I knew a lot of facts, but I, I didn't know the first thing about teaching at that moment. And there are some things that I learned very early in my teaching profession, the things I didn't learn, things they don't teach you in school like this, that a lot of what you do, most of your responsibilities take place between those classes that you teach, the in-between times. So I learned very early that their students would come into my office and they would just sit there across from me and they just want to talk. Uh, Sometimes they would talk just about assignments or due dates and course material, but most of the time they would come in and they would just want to talk about life. They'd want to talk about uh, college life. They'd want to talk about intramural sports, really important things like that. But every now and then somebody would come in and they would want to talk about something really important in their life. Some deep concern that they were experiencing. And I'll never forget one of those conversations. He was 24 years old. He was married. In fact, he had married his high school sweetheart, a girl that he had dated all through high school. They had known each other since they were children, and dated all through their time and married just as soon as they could legally do so. And so here they were, both in college. They had no money. They were a struggling young couple. And he was telling me that his wife was ready to start a family. He was not ready to start a family. In fact, she didn't realize how unready he was to start a family. Because as we sat there that day, I'll never forget the words he spoke to me. He said, I've been thinking about this and praying about this a lot lately. And this is not how I envisioned my life. And he said, I believe God is calling me to leave my wife so that we can both have a fresh start. And then he said these words, God has a plan for me. And this is not it. That's one story. Second one was in 2004. I remember it was 2004 because that was the year of the horrific tsunamis that devastated the coast of parts of Asia. If you remember from your television sets watching news coming out of Indonesia and Sri Lanka and India and Thailand, devastating hurricanes that were triggered by an earthquake in the middle of the ocean that measured 9.3 on the Richter scale. One of the largest recorded earthquakes in history It created waves 98 feet tall. 
And those waves began to plummet the Asian coast only 15 minutes after that earthquake occurred. And they continued to plummet the coast for approximately seven hours. And when all the water finally receded, it is estimated, because we'll never know for sure, that over 230,000 people lost their lives. I remember the Wednesday night after that event. I was in a church in Lubbock, and I was there for a Wednesday night service. And like many of us, when we go to a Wednesday night service, before class starts, some of us are standing around and we're talking. And I remember there's a group of people that were talking, a group of men that were sitting around in a circle talking about that week's events. And we were lamenting the events in the world of that week. And we were, we were trying to sympathize with and remembering the, the people that had passed away that week, the families that were mourning the loss of life, the people at that point that were still missing. And one of the gentlemen in that circle looked at the rest of us and he said these words. He said, did you notice that none of those tsunamis hit any Christian nations? He said, I believe this was God's judgment on those people. And then he said, it was God's plan all along. What do you think about that? What is God's will? What does it mean when we say God's plan? Does God have a plan for this world? And if God has a plan for this world, what does that, what does that mean really? I mean, is God like a puppet master that's in heaven somewhere, pulling the strings of creation, dictating every single thing that's going to happen in this life. All of the world events, all of the natural disasters, all of the things that take place in your life. And maybe at a more personal level. Has God designed a specific plan for your life? Is it our responsibility to figure out what God has planned for us and follow that blueprint to the best of our ability. Have you ever asked those questions? Am I the only one that's asked those questions? Never asked questions like them? Our world is filled with questions about God's will and God's plan. Those phrases are thrown around very commonly in our time. And I guess that should come as no surprise because the Bible itself is filled with that kind of language. I went this week and just pulled out some of those texts that we go to when we talk about God's plan or God's will. So consider some of these passages. We know that God works all things together for good for the ones who love God. For those who are called, listen, according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, things to give you Hope for a future, Jeremiah 29, 11. The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. That's Proverbs 16, 9. Another proverb from Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's Ephesians 2.10. 
The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be. As I have purposed, so shall it stand. Isaiah 14, 24. Scripture seems to support this idea that God has some sort of master plan for the universe. And when I read texts like this, I, I leave these texts with a tremendous sense of hope. And I think that's what these texts are meant to do. They're, they're meant to give us a sense of hope and confidence in the power and the sovereignty of God. God is in charge. And as chaotic as this world sometimes gets, have you ever wondered, <laughs> notice the world gets chaotic sometimes? As chaotic as the world gets, these texts are there to remind us that God is still in control. And our world desperately needs to hear that message, doesn't it? That this is not happening by happenstance. A couple of weeks ago, I was here and I told you that early on in the Christian world, there were some Christians that got together and they were trying to determine what was most important. Do you remember this? All the things pertaining to religion. What is at the core? What is at the center so there's all this stuff related to religion, things we disagree about, we get in discussions over, things we divide on. But they said in the midst of all of these kinds of things, there has to be at the center somewhere, there has to be this unalterable core. What is it that is binding? What is it that is unchanging? We can agree to disagree on some of these things in the periphery, but at the core, what is it that really matters? And they set out to determine answers to those questions. What's at the heart of the Christian faith? And the way they did that, they, they outlined these core tenets of the Christian faith through a series of I believe statements. I believe this, I believe that. These are things we must believe together to be called followers of Christ. And the very first line they wrote was this one. I believe in God. Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Now you may hear that and think, well, that's pretty elementary. I mean, who, who doesn't believe that in this room? You don't realize just what a bold pronouncement that was in its time. And the reason that was such a bold pronouncement in its time is because in that early era of the church, there had arisen a group within Christianity, and we call them today Gnostics. Gnostic Christians. And they, like many of us, were trying to discern, trying to understand what to do with the problem of evil in the world. They were trying to make sense of that in the world. What do we do with things like divorce? How do we make sense of things like tsunamis? Why does evil exist in this world? How do we make sense of a world that's filled with evil if, in fact, it was created by good, loving, all-powerful God. And so they were trying to work out an answer to that question. And here's the answer they came up with, these Gnostic Christians. They believed that in the beginning, there was a God, which they called the source of all things. And this source was perfect in its essence. And the source was a source of, of light. And from this source emanated everything in creation. 
So imagine a great ball of light, a great ball of energy, and then small pieces of light that resemble that larger piece of light emanating from it over and over and over in light, randomly popping out of that one great source of light. And they believe that each of these smaller sources of light was a piece of creation. And this process went on for a very, very long time. And they believed at the very beginning of that process, the light that popped out from the great source of light resembled very much the light itself. Beautiful, wonderful beings were created in those moments. Things like angels, majestic, powerful, beautiful. But as that process continued, the smaller pieces of light that emanated from that great source of light become less and less like the source. In other words, they became more and more imperfect. Our world, they believed, was created very late in the process. <laughs> very late in the process. And that's why there's so much evil. That's why there's so much fallenness in our world. That's why there's so much imperfection in the world in which we live. But chief among their ideas was this, this principle of randomness. It just happened. And God had little control over it. I mean, God was this great source of light, but, but God didn't control the things that took place. And it, the process just kind of took control of itself. And the reason they came to that conclusion, you have to understand, they couldn't possibly deal with a world like ours that's filled with evil, that has so much destruction and so much pain. They couldn't imagine how such a good and powerful God could create something like this. And so that was their answer. And this idea was actually pretty prevalent in the early church. There were books that were written that described that point of view. As we were collecting the books that became our New Testament in the third and fourth centuries, as we were putting all those things together, there were other books that were filled with these Gnostic ideas. So there were some very strong Christian leaders at that time that heard this idea, that understood these principles, and their answer was absolutely not. That's not correct. That's not the message that we find through Scripture. The message we find is that God is all-powerful, all-powerful. That God is absolutely in control of the world. And the message that we find is that God intentionally and deliberately created an ordered universe. And at the center of this idea of the Christian faith, they believed were these principles. At the very heart of the matter, God is almighty. And when they said God is almighty, what they mean is that God is sovereign over everything. God is in control of the world. God is in control of everything. The second part of that, God is the creator of the world. What they mean by that is all of this that you see, it's not random. It didn't just happen. God deliberately and intentionally created the world through God's mind, through God's purpose. And finally, God is creator of us. What that means is we're not the byproduct of some flawed process. It didn't just happen. God created us intentionally, for a reason. Those are profound ideas at that time. 
But that gets back to the question, doesn't it? So why is there evil in the world? If God did create all of this, if God did create us, if God is all good and all powerful and sovereign, so why is there evil in the world? What these earliest Christians believed, the message they found through the pages of Scripture, which we now read over and over and over again, one of the greatest gifts that our Creator God gave to us is free will. And sometimes in our free will, we choose, we choose to move away from God. And there are consequences for us and for the world for moving away from God. And sometimes, because of the fallen nature of our world, bad things happen. Things that we can't control. Things that are too horrendous even to talk about. And sometimes, because we live in a world where creation is fallen to, natural disasters occur. Tornadoes and tsunamis and hurricanes. That's why there are these great texts in the New Testament that remind us that if we fail to sing out the praises of God's glory, remember what the text says? Even these rocks will cry out. From the creation of the world, creation has been groaning, longing for the day of God's return. We are all in this together. (laughs) This created world was fallen because of sin and death's entrance into this world. But this is important, and they came to this conclusion centuries and centuries ago. That does not mean that God instituted evil. That doesn't mean that God is responsible and God planned for these tragedies to occur. These are the products of the fallen world in which we live. I love the way one second century Christian put it. This guy's name was Theophilus of Antioch. Now listen, if you're going to have a name like Theophilus of Antioch, you have to do something special. And he did. And he wrote these words. And I think they're very, very profound. Listen to what he said. He said, the whole reality, that means everything that we see, the whole reality is a symphony composed by the divine musician. He is a genius as he joined all created, visible and invisible elements into a concord of one choir. Of course, he writes, there are some voices who do not sing the same melody as the rest of creation. But still, in its final act, everything will be brought to the original harmony and glory. What a beautiful statement. God does have a plan for the world. What is it? Well, don't take my word for it. Let's go to Scripture and see what Scripture says about this. Listen to what the writer of Ephesians says right toward the beginning of that book. Bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing that comes from heaven. God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless in God's presence before the creation of the world. God destined us to be his adopted children through Jesus Christ because of his love. This was according to his goodwill and according to his, listen, to his plan. And to honor his glorious grace that he has given to us freely through his son whom he loves. 
we have been ransomed through his son's blood. And we have forgiveness of our failures based on his overflowing grace, which he poured out over us with wisdom and understanding. God revealed his hidden design to us, which is according to his goodwill and the plan which he intended to accomplish through his son. Now listen to this text. This is what God planned for the climax of all times, to bring all things together in Christ. The things in heaven, along with all of the things on earth. We have also received an inheritance from Christ. We are destined by this plan of God who accomplishes everything according to his design. We are called to be an honor to God's glory because we were the first to hope in Christ. You too heard the word of truth in Christ, which is the good news of your salvation. You were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit because you believed in Christ. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of your inheritance, which is applied toward our redemption as God's own people, resulting in the honor of God's glory. Church, what that means, and you have to understand, this is so important. At the heart of God's plan, the center of God's plan is redemption and reconciliation. God set in motion a plan to bring all things back together. Or you could put it another way. God set in motion a plan that will help finally creation sing in harmony again. That's the plan. Now, what that means is God does not call us to find that individual specific plan for our individual lives. He doesn't want you to spend your life worrying about a misstep, wondering what is it that God has planned specifically for my life. And if I move off track from that blueprint one iota, well, then there goes the rest of my life. That's not how God's plan works. Rather, God invites all of us to enter into and to participate in this master plan that has been in motion since the beginning of time. And that master plan that has been in motion since the beginning of time is the redemption of the world. When Scripture says God's plan and God's will, and over and over in all these texts that we read this morning and many others like it, that's the plan it's talking about. God's plan to redeem the world and bring the world back into harmony with itself. That has been God's plan from the very beginning. And what a blessing that God has invited us to be a part of that plan and to participate in that plan. Some of you may be familiar with the entertainer Garrison Keillor. Uh, he recalls, he was a storyteller, and he recalls an event from his childhood where he was typically chosen last all of the time when a baseball team was chosen. Have you ever been there? All the kids are lined up along the fence and you have two captains and I'll choose you and I'll choose you and he goes and they said I was always one of the last two chosen. He said the captains would go and they would choose their teams and at the very end of the day there was a slow kid that they would make the catcher and there was this other kid out there that they would put out in right field because at that age nobody ever hit the ball out there. And I was always one of those kids he said. He said just once just once, I would like, and this is how he says it, I'd like for Daryl to pick me first and say, him, I want him. The skinny kid with glasses and the black shoes. You, come on to my team. He said, but it never happened. 
said I was never chosen with that much enthusiasm. Church, did you ever think about the fact that you are so valuable to God that he chose you early, before creation, and God chose you with enthusiasm? The writer of Ephesians says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And because of statements like this, those earliest Christians, when they were trying to work out what is most important, what is at the heart of the faith, we may agree to disagree on all these other things out there, but what must we agree upon? What is at the center of our identity as followers of Jesus Christ? When they were trying to work that out, the very first statement they came up with was this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And in making that statement, they were referring to the God who is all-powerful, the God who created everything, the God who set in motion a plan from the very beginning to choose me, (laughs) even when I didn't deserve it. And church, I don't want you to forget this. God chose you too. And that has profound implications for your life. You are not created by chance. You are not created at random. God created you for a purpose and invited you into a ministry, the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of redemption in this world. And that is the business, that is the vocation that we have been given. And so I pray this week that God would lay the burden of that ministry on your hearts. That in the relationships that you engage, that you would think about those relationships through the lens of this ministry. That God has invited you to bring people back together. That God has invited you to restore marriages. That God has invited you to restore relationships between parents and children. That God has invited you to bring back enemies together. That God has invited you to step into those places on social media where people are yelling and fighting each other to be a voice of reconciliation. That God has invited you to remind this people of the world that though this world has fallen and though we experience disaster, at the end of times, God will bring us back together into harmony. Let us be the harbingers of that message this week, church. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this ministry that you've blessed us with, for the blessing of our creation, for the love that you've extended to us, which is made manifest even in our existence. God, you loved us and we did not deserve to be loved. And God, allow that to be a model to us as we engage those around us. We thank you for Jesus and the redemption of the world and the plan that you set in motion from the beginning of time. And it's in the name of that Son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. This morning, uh, we want to invite you uh, through an invitation to receive the prayers of this body of Christ.
If you're struggling with something in your world and you just need your family to pray with you, surround you, to give you strength, we want to give you an opportunity to receive that this morning. Dustin's going to lead us in a song in just a moment. And if you have that concern, come on up here and we will pray with you. Today could be the day that you want to give your life to Jesus for the very first time and put on Christ in baptism and become a new person, a new identity uh, in the fellowship of Christ. And we would love to help you with that as well. And this body of Christ can help you in any of these ways. We invite you to come as we stand and sing together.